Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. The movie All of Us Strangers is a wistful fantasy drama that tells two intersecting stories about different kinds of love. One between a son and his long-deceased parents, the other of two lonely men and neighbors who long for connection. At the center of it all is Andrew Scott, playing a man struggling to reconcile his traumatic past with his isolated presence. I'm Glenn Wilton. And I'm Aisha Harris. And today we're talking about All of Us Strangers on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community. My greatest hope for the Voices of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer. To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Acorn TV isn't just good. It's brilliant, with exceptional television from around the world. Their romances are more charming, their mysteries cozier, their noirs more gripping, and their comedies cleverer. More clever? Oh, you get it. Acorn TV is brilliant stories told brilliantly. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. So, in a nutshell, Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. When you're home shopping as a parent, you have lots of questions about local schools. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by a dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. Joining us today is NPR senior editor Bilal Qureshi. Hey, Bilal. Hi, Aisha, and hi, Glenn. Welcome back. Hey. All of a Stranger stars Andrew Scott as Adam, a TV writer living a lonely existence in London. No social circle, no family to speak of. The only other resident in his large apartment complex is Harry, played by Paul Mezcal. And one evening, Harry knocks on Adam's door, introduces himself, and the two begin an intense romance. Meanwhile, Adam begins confronting his past. He returns to his childhood home and has regular visits with the ghosts of his parents, who died in a car crash when he was 12 years old. They're played by Claire Foy and Jamie Bell, and they look and remind Adam exactly of how they were when they died. In their conversations, he attempts to finally process the loss of mom and dad and how it's impacted his ability to have meaningful relationships in his adult life. It's directed by Andrew Hay, who's no stranger to tales of intimate and complex relationships. His previous films include Weekend and 45 Years. All of Us Strangers is in theaters now. So, Glenn, I want to start with you. Mm -hmm. First of all, I I found it 
fascinating to read about this after the fact because Andrew Hay, he considers this movie to be very personal. And in fact, the scenes where Adam's going back to his childhood home were shot in Hay's own childhood home, which he hadn't visited in like four plus decades. You know, while watching this, did it come across to you as something that was deeply personal? Or in other words, like, did Adam's journey feel true to you in a way? Oh, it did. Uh, Like, this is such a warm and sincere film. Open. It's a very Mm -hmm. open film that it does feel very personal. And I also feel, just stating out here at the front, that it feels like expressing anything less than fulsome praise for this thing feels like I'm kicking a puppy. (laughs) And I I don't mean to. Like, I I do admire this. I think this is incredibly well wrought. But I was kind of cool to it. I always try to say... It's not sentiment in film that I object to, um, in comedy and drama, in fiction, because sentiment is just real emotion, and that's necessary. What gives me hives is sentimentality, which Mm. is reaching for real sentiment, reaching for real emotion and failing to find it, so you bust out all these tricks. And I want to be clear, that doesn't happen here. I think this film, up to its closing minutes, which is where it kind of lost me, Mm. has the restraint and the specificity that have made me an Andrew Hay superfan. Yeah. You got a placid surface, you got roiling emotions underneath, and the tension of keeping them in check just so you can get through the damn day, that is, that's what it's all about. And Andrew Hay has his detractors who call this film's inert and slow and nothing happens. They're missing that energy, that drama. Yeah. That's what I love. I think this, as I say, it's exquisitely made. Andrew Scott, if you only know him as Moriarty from Sherlock or even Sexy Priest from Fleabag. Hot Priest, yes. <laughs> he is so much more inward and hooded here than you might expect. I don't mm-hmm. want to sleep on Claire Foy. I do want to get to the structure of this, which is where it lost me. But I want to hear what you guys think of it first. Yeah. Bilal, like, how did it resonate for you? I agree with what Glenn was saying in that, you know, I'm also an Andrew Hay super fan. And I think the few films he's made, he has not made that many. They're all incredibly impactful and stay with you. And I think his films have a way of lingering long after. And I, I saw this and, and I have not been able to fully shake kind of what its effect was. And I even find myself, like you were saying, Glenn, you know, wrestling with kind of how I actually feel about it. But I will say that to the people who think his films can be inert and and sort of slow, this does feel like his biggest film in a way to me because it's so lush. I just want to point out that from the first frames where like the light is coming into this apartment building where Andrew Scott's character lives alone, there's a lot of kind of play with light and sort of dawn and dusk and sort of loneliness and and the music in it. And there's a lot of incredible songs in it because he's as he's reckoning with his past and his 80s childhood, the Pet Shop Boys and songs from the kind of 80s English youth. So that all stuff feels very personal. And of course, like it's a foursome cast that's just incredible of, you know, thespians. The kind of, you know, the elegance of it and the bigness of it and, and all of those same emotional concerns, all of that was was there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very odd film in a lot of ways because it is doing both a ghost story and a kind of gay coming-of-age story. And there's a lot it's trying to reconcile, which I also don't know if it entirely achieves. But, I yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, Glenn, on, on sort of... I don't want to kick the puppy either because it's a very <laughs> it's a very elegant one. Yeah, I kind of see where you both are coming from. I think... I was hotter on it than you were. It's still lingering with me. And I think about the fact that at this point, we have seen quite a few sort of white gay male love stories in films. And 
part of me is like, oh, okay, can we have more different kinds of gay and queer uh, love stories and complicated feelings? And, and also just stories about coming out and of wrestling with having a traumatic childhood. Mm-hmm. But then when we have this story being told in this way, Glenn, you hinted at the structure not quite working for you. I don't know if it was a structure for you or if it was maybe the aesthetics, because mm-hmm. the movie kind of reveals itself as it goes along and takes its time to reveal. Like when we first come across as parents, if you don't know anything about like going into this, what this is actually about, because I didn't know anything about it. So at first when he's sees a man and he he starts following him. I'm like, oh, okay, what's happening here? And then he goes to the house and then they start talking. And I'm like, oh, he's talking to his parents who are his age, but like they're dead. So it, it's very piecemeal in a way. But I think for me, that's what kept me intrigued. That's what kept me engrossed in the story. And when you have that with the Paul Mescal character and their love story, I was into it. And by the end of it, I felt like I had just gone on this journey And it really just made me think a lot about the ways that you can tell similar stories that have been told before, but tell them in new and different ways. Mm -hmm. But I want to pose this question to you because I think there's this sort of subtle generational divide. It's subtle when it comes to the Harry and Adam character because Harry seems to be way more – he's just like, I'm younger and I don't have all these hangups about, you know – being gay at, like you do. Uh, but then you have the generational divide that actually does come up between Adam and his parents. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious like how that played for you. Well, this film to me is being marketed as the Andrew Scott, Paul Mezcal gay romance film. I think that's maybe two-fifths of what's going on here. It's three-fifths yeah, yeah. his stuff with the parents. And mm. the how and why, the setup of this film is supernatural. He's talking to his dead parents. Yeah. But the what of it is universal and familiar. It's just, he's talking to his parents. So that first visit, like any parental visit, are golden, pristine, it's a love fest. Mm. And after that, if you stay a little bit longer, they start to revert to the flawed people they are, shaped by their experiences and kind of hemmed in by their history. And they start saying thoughtless things and hurtful things and resentful things because, of course, they do because they're human. Uh, But what happens there is your idealized memory of them meets the real people they are. And that's what those subsequent visits are about. And that's what I think is the heart of this thing, more than the romance. The thing I was interested in was this relationship with the parents. And for a while, those subsequent visits get more complicated, more tense, more kind of weighted with this unspoken conflict. But subsequently, that dramatic tension starts to slacken, and suddenly those conversations with his parents devolve and flatten and become therapy sessions. Mm. But I was watching these characters grow less real and less specific. And in the final moments... Of this film, which are a big swing. Very big swing. <laughs> I'm fine with that because there are a hell of a lot of people for whom that ending will work completely. I, I think the more we've kind of talked about this and I have to kind of, I think, be a little bit, a lot more honest about the fact that I think what I'm struggling with is this film made me extremely sad. In a way, yeah, to your point earlier, Glenn, about the way it's been marketed, it's the sort of image of Paul Mescal mm-hmm. having his hand around Andrew Scott and like, mm-hmm. you know, these are the kind of zeitgeist actors Instead, it sort of hit at, like, the core, I would say, for a certain generation, clearly, like, gay trauma of, like, loneliness, the life not lived, the parents who didn't get to have the conversation with, the, like, trauma of the closet. I mean, psychology shelves of gay bookstores are filled with these sorts of things. And I I did find myself wondering about how 
painful and kind of how difficult it is, especially in the context of like the kind of things we're talking about wanting to see more of from queer stories and gay stories. And then I saw this just like lastly of why maybe it's a little bit depressing is I saw it in the kind of wave of having watched a little bit of Fellow Travelers, which I know, Glenn, you've written about and and talked about, and Mm. Maestro, which also has this sort of theme of like gay men looking backward at the like things they didn't get to do. And I do think it is the sort of original wound for certain generation and certain gay men. And I think it can be like really hard to be so effectively and so emotionally and so cinematically put right back into it. And I think I haven't quite fully reconciled how I feel about living in that world. Yeah. If that makes any sense. I mean, this is a very personal sort of like feeling about it. Yeah, no, I think that absolutely makes sense. And I can understand that sadness and also like maybe that sense of fatigue is maybe you're also feeling in a way of just like more trauma. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think that that's such a valid response. And I do wonder like if because I don't have that, like it was sad to me, like this movie was utterly depressing, but it does not obviously hit me in the same way that it might hit, you know, someone who actually lived the experience that Adam has has gone through. I think one of the things that spoke to me the most about this film was something that felt universal feelings that people can have towards their parents, whatever kind of relationship they've had, if it's been very complicated for reasons that maybe don't necessarily involve being queer. There's a scene where he talks to his father and his father admits that he heard him crying in his bedroom when he was younger for being bullied. And, you know, he asked him, like, why didn't you come in and comfort me? And I think, like, to me, that was kind of a punch in the gut of, like, oh, my goodness. Like, I I understand this, like, sense of feeling like your parents didn't do more to protect you when you needed them the most. And I don't know. That just really struck me. And But I can also just, to your point, well, I'll understand how that can be even more traumatic if that's something you feel so deeply. And I would say that like that is for me the thing that's the strongest of the film that I really loved. And I think what you said is so true. It's like the idea of being able to have the conversation with your parents that you couldn't have. In this case, they've died. And that's the dramatic sort of conceit of the film. But, you know, it also made me think about, to reference a, a gay film of recent years, Call Me By Your Name, when Timothy Chalamet's mm-hmm. character has the conversation with his dad that I think yeah. a lot of people like loved because it was sort of the conversation they wish they could have had with their dad. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that's a very universal thing. Many people, we've all kind of, you know, read the body keeps the score and all the ways trauma goes generationally through your life and I think a lot of it rooted in parents and parent relationships and I think that is a beautifully rendered thing and there are really long and like incredibly acted scenes of Andrew Scott with his parents who are of the same age in the way that they are in the film but you're really seeing that conversation that I think a lot of people maybe wish they could have had with their parents and I think that part of the film is incredible right Absolutely. And there's a context to the Mezcal and Scott relationship, too, which is he's older. Scott is older. There is a mentor aspect to this relationship. And the Scott character didn't have that because the generation above him was wiped out. So instead, he is talking to his parents, who are more or less the same age as he is, which is a complicated thing. And there's certain moments the first time you see the father, it could be a hookup. Or it could be something else. And so all of that is threaded together in a way that adds layers to this thing. I'm not sure it needs to be picked apart. And I don't think it's a particularly schematic film, but I expected it to be. So I went into this movie with the wrong side of my brain. I was trying to figure out the twist, the secret, the gimmick. Mm. And whenever you go into a movie with that mode, you are 
not in the movie and you're outside of it, you're parsing every bit of dialogue. Is this a possible clue? And then you're thinking to yourself, you're taking yourself further down that road saying, well, if that is a clue to what's really going on, then that's way too on the nose. Which for the yeah. record, I mean, I was right and some of that dialogue is way too on the nose, but <laughs> I did not get the experience of this film that I should have and that's on me. Well, look, I, we've all been there. I've definitely been there and I think – yeah, again, the reason I, it might have worked on me is because, A, I went into it not knowing anything about what it was, mm-hmm. what it was except that, you know, Paul Mescal and, and Andrew Scott were in it. And and I, I was just kind of able to sort of let myself get swept away. And I was definitely questioning, like, what, where are we going here? And then at one point I wrote in my notes, like, is this what I think it is? And then mm-hmm. when it ended, I was like, oh, yeah, it kind of is. Mm-hmm. But also, oh, my God, why am I sobbing? Yeah. <laughs> I was a little teary-eyed. And the the way that this – you mentioned earlier, Bilal, the music, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, which is mm-hmm. like a group I know vaguely. You know the one song. <laughs> Relax? Is that mm-hmm. – did they it's do the Relax? One. Yeah. Yeah, I know that one song. But I did not know the power of love somehow. And the way that is employed in this film – Oh my god! It's I. I went back and it now added it to my my playlist on Spotify, and I was like, "Oh man, this song gets me in the feels." Yep, <laughs> it does. I think another thing. Another thing I was going to say on that note that this movie reminded me a bit of Steve McQueen's Shame as well, like the kind of loneliness <laughs> yeah. of like urban life, and there's a lot of the the moving between his apartment to where his parents' home is on these trains and, like, the shadows from the city. And I think a lot of that urban loneliness and melancholy that I think also is very universal if you live in a city. Um, And I think it was a particularly kind of poetic and and sort of also sad in a a, a kind of beautiful sad way about that sort of urban, I think, ennui. It is definitely a mood. It's a feel, and I think, yeah, this was, like, really, truly very emotional, and I feel like it led with that. Yeah, I mean, to that point, Bilal, one of the things I noticed is that this is supposed to be set in London, but, like, you never actually feel like you're in London, so... Well, we want to know what you think about all of us strangers. Find us at facebook.com slash pchh. And that brings us to the end of our show. Bilal Qureshi, Glenn Weldon, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and edited by Jessica Reedy and Mike Katzif. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR.